morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and we are officially less than one month away from the 2021 NFL Draft, and today we continue with our sixth of eight position-by-position prospect previews with a look at the offensive tackle class. And of course, what better person is there to help us analyze this crop of tackles than the man I like to call Dr. Trenches, our good friend Nick Kendall of MileHighHuddle.com. Yet, of even more importance, when Nick is not crunching film, he works as an epidemiologist and has thus been one of our many frontline heroes in the fight against COVID-19. So Nick, you deserve the utmost round of applause for all you have done over the last year, and it is beyond a pleasure to welcome you back to the program. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. I just want to shout out to the whole scientific community in general. I mean, I think a lot of people, the way history is told, it's often like one person makes this key jump in discovery, but really it's a it's a collective effort um, working in public health. Obviously, it's all about the collective. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're approaching a, a new normal. Hopefully things will be good. Hopefully everybody's getting their vaccine and everything's rolling out. And I'm hoping for a somewhat normal and coming back to just a reality summer 2021. But uh, first, selfishly, definitely selfishly. I'm ready for April and the NFL draft. Same here. And before we get to this uh, offensive tackle class, let's discuss the earthquake that shook the NFL Mm. a few days ago. And that earthquake was a blockbuster trade in which the Dolphins traded the number three overall pick of the draft to the 49ers for the 12th overall pick, which Miami subsequently traded to the Eagles. First round picks in 2022 and 2023, the former of which the Dolphins also traded to Philly and a third round pick in 2022. So this was as close to a, uh, three-team mega trade like you see in the NBA, as I have seen in the NFL. And it is clear that Kyle Shanahan wants his long-term answer at quarterback, especially one on a rookie deal that will extend the Super Bowl window of this extremely talented 49ers roster. And it is all but certain that the first two picks of the draft will be Trevor Lawrence at one of the Jaguars and Zach Wilson at two of the Jets. This means that the 49ers will probably be choosing between Justin Fields and Trey Lance at three overall. If you were Kyle Shanahan, which of those two quarterbacks would you select and why? Um, gosh, I'm, I'm, I've said it many times. I have four quarterbacks in this class that I would have zero qualms with them being your quarterback two through four. I think Trevor Lawrence is number one. I mean, you got the most tape. You have tools. He can translate to a number of offenses. I, I think a lot of people in the NFL like Zach Wilson. He scares me a little bit more, but, I mean, there's smarter people than me making these decisions. Um, so, uh, But I really love Lawrence one, and then I do 2A, 2B, 2C with Fields, Wilson, Lance. I would take a shot on any of them. I think they all have the tools and uh, just as good a chance of becoming elite franchise quarterbacks as any of them. And also very good quarterbacks on their rookie contract, which, I mean, that's an ace in the hole in today's NFL roster building instead of paying a guy like Dak Prescott, who's very good. Don't get me wrong. Very good. But like, what is it? Forty five million a year versus paying one of those quarterbacks like five million a year. I mean, it's night and day difference. It most certainly is, but I definitely see more of an argument for Fields, at least personally, because uh, Trey Lance is somebody that many around the NFL believe is going to need a year or two of seasoning, and if the 49ers want to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo sooner rather than later, I think it makes far more sense to draft Justin Fields, who I think has a much better shot of Lance at being ready on day one. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, Fields, you've seen it multiple multiple seasons now. I feel like a lot of people are putting too much weight on the Northwestern-Indiana game, I think, coming into those games uh, before he struggled and they had COVID um, with Ohio State, a couple of outbreaks. I think Fields had more touchdowns than incompletions, which is just insane. Um, and he'd be, he'd be my quarterback too. But it does seem like I'm getting a little bit of PTSD. I said it on my show last night. It feels a lot like Josh Rosen in 2018 where it's like, 
to me, it seems obvious the guy's talented. Obviously, the NFL was right there. Uh, you know, he didn't work out, but it seems, you know, obvious guy. Why are they talking it down? He should be right up there with the rest of them. That seems to be the same situation this year with Justin Fields. So I don't know. Maybe there's something off the field there. I've, I haven't heard anything. I've only heard the you know, toughness. Teammates love him. But uh, from where I sit, if I was the Broncos or any team, I'd be trying to get up to four right now because those four guys, equally worth a shot. Indeed, and now let's proceed to the main reason why you're here today, which is to discuss this uh, offensive tackle group. And around this time last year, many people were saying that Panay Sewell would be the can't-miss prospect in the 2021 class, a la Chase Young in 2020. However, I've come across some that say that as freakishly talented as Panay Sewell is, he is far from a sure thing, and there were some rumors that have him falling outside the top nine. What are your thoughts on Panay Sewell, and why do you think some aren't as high on him? Well, I mean, it's very weird. Typically, offensive linemen take a few years in the NFL, but also in college. And his tape, from a technical standpoint, I mean, very limited uh, for the one year and also the type of offense that Oregon runs. It's not very translatable to the NFL, but people are saying, not just not to be uh, draw too far of conclusions here, but see, people are saying the same thing last year with Justin Herbert, right? Like, oh, what is he doing in this Oregon offense that's replicatable to the NFL? Sometimes you got to bank on the traits, right? And you see the traits with Penny Sewell. So uh, I think he's going to figure it out. He came to Oregon as a guard, and I think worst-case scenario, you do have a dominant guard given his size, his moving ability. He can get out there. That's worst-case scenario. I think Penny Sewell, left tackle, right tackle. I mean, the traits, the size, the movement skills, it's going to translate. The technical stuff, you know, maybe year one he's not as good as Slater. But, uh, you know, again, rare guy, rare athlete. He, he would have been up there with the top five last year, in my opinion, and uh, I'd have no problem taking him top six. Uh, four quarterbacks, Kyle Pitts, Penny Sewell. I, I'd swing for the fences. And also, I'm not drafting the way I view draft picks in general. A lot of people have a very short-term myopic viewpoint. You know, what is this player going to do for me in the next upcoming season? I think that's not the way to go. you got to look at these guys over career arcs and uh, also the rookie contract. And I think, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, Penny Sewell has the chance to be the best tackle in this class. So I wouldn't overthink it. While I agree with you, just to play devil's advocate, why are some thinking that he could fall outside the top nine? Um, Just some of his pass sets are not as clean with his hands. You know, he's kind of out there. How many actually true pass sets does he have in that Oregon offense? The ones where he's actually having to get a lot of depth. You know, they use a lot of bubble screens. You can see the athleticism outside and he can be more of an aggressor. Um, you're not really seeing that NFL, you know, long drop back where he's having to have to stay in front of a speed rusher. And also the quality of edge rushers in the Pac-12 is not great, at least from two years ago. He hasn't seen many. The best one is his teammate across the way. So honestly, I'd, I'd be curious what uh, Thibodeau has to say about uh, going up against Penny Sewell and practice and whatnot and what those Oregon coaches have to say, because that's honestly the probably the most indicative of any reps that he's gotten as far as an NFL talent. Um, but uh, there is risk because he does have some tendency that are more guard-like where he's more of an aggressor going forward. It's But also I come back uh, another 2019 par- or 2020 parallel. Uh, people were saying the same thing about Tristan Wirfs, right? He's over-aggressive. He lunges. How many? How is he actually doing in true pass sets? He's really toolsy, but actually I think he projects better than guard. Guy's big. Guy's massive. Guy's a heck of an athlete. Guy is overwhelmingly young. I'm betting on the traits. Yeah, Tristan Wirfs is a very indicative indeed of what you should do with Panay Sewell at the next level. And as you alluded to, the offensive tackle prospect that some have ranked above Panay Sewell, in particular Lance Zierlein and Daniel Jeremiah, is Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. And I say that with a lot of pride because I am an Evanston, Illinois native, and uh, Rashawn Slater has played college ball right in my backyard for the past several years. And when you talk about Rashawn Slater, he's a freak athlete who did a phenomenal job against Chase Young in 2019. But another big reason to be bullish on him is that he could play any 
of the five offensive line positions, and many believe that Slater is a much better fit at guard given his lack of length. However, our friend Jordan Reed at the uh, Draft Network believes Slater must be tried out at tackle first and only be moved to guard if he proves he can't survive on the outside. Do you agree or disagree with Jordan's assessment? I think that it depends on team-to-team situation, right? Like if you're if you're a team that has two good tackles and you have a need at guard, then I have no issue playing him at guard year one and then somewhere down the line seeing if he can be a tackle. Because I, I do think he can play all five. You're probably going to get the most value from him at either tackle spot, but it's a team-to-team situation. Let's let, let's say for the Broncos, the Broncos take uh, Rashawn Slater at nine. Very high player, very high floor player. Maybe not the most amazing ceiling, but you're adding a quality ingredient to the offense, to the offensive line that gives you a lot of flexibility over the next four to five seasons. You know, a chance to be a real blue chipper on that offensive line. But let's say um, Lloyd Cushenberry really struggles. Uh, Moody is injured again. Juwan James and Garrett Bowles are playing good. Slater at guard, that's fine. You can do, you can get by with that for a year. Um, but it's that flexibility that gives him more value. But in a vacuum, yes, you want to make sure that he fails at tackle before pegging him as a guard. It's just team-to-team situation-wise if it is year one guard versus year one tackle or center. And a prospect in a pretty similar predicament as Rashawn Slater is Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. Mm-hmm. Like Slater, yeah. many view Vera Tucker as a relatively safe high floor prospect, and he put two outstanding years of film in both at guard and this past year at tackle. Although the consensus is that he is a much better fit inside, do you think there's a place for Elijah Vera Tucker at tackle in the NFL? He is one, what was his arm, like 32 and a quarter yeah, versus Rashawn that. Slater yeah. at 33. Like, I feel not great about 33. That threshold you're looking for is 34, but you can get away with 33-inch arm length if you are a good enough mover, good enough in your base, good enough with your hands, et cetera, et cetera. And like Rashawn Slater, it's not going to be like Penny Sewell blowing a guy off the line of scrimmage, but he beats guys to spots. Like I would love to see him in a wide zone attack. Um, but, you know, if he, like let's say the Vikings said he was their guy and wanted to come up and get him, and the Broncos had a deal with the Vikings in place, you know, switch 19 to 14, and they come up and get their offensive tackle of choice, that would be a great fit for the Vikings running that wide zone. Um, But, you know, that is one where, you know, I think for Elijah Vera Tucker specifically, 32 and a quarter, it's it's too far away from the threshold. I I can live with 33, especially in a wide zone scheme. 32 and a quarter, that's a guard. And maybe in a pinch he can play some tackle, but I do not love it in a... uh, in a vacuum. I think you're drafting him in probably the highest upside guard with some versatility in emergency situation, but that length is going to be an issue. And I know that he played on a bum hamstring versus USC two years ago, but again, coming back to Thibodeau, who might be you know the best prospect in the NFL draft next year, um, he dominated, dominated Elijah Vera Tucker, and he struggled with that length. So uh, that's something you're going to see in the NFL more, and that's something that concerns me with Vera Tucker at 32 and a quarter. I mean, there's not many tackles in the NFL playing with 30 sub 33 inch arms. Yeah, Nick, you uh, definitely hit it right on the head. That length is what makes uh, Elijah Vera Tucker a far more risky prospect at tackle compared to uh, Rashawn mm-hmm. Slater. And another offensive tackle prospect that you are rather high at personally is Christian Derrissaw of Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, we just had an interview with Christian Derrissaw's agent, Ken Sarnoff, on this podcast a couple weeks ago. So uh, so I have a somewhat of a connection to the world of Christian Derrissaw. And you went as far to say that he should be considered as an option for the Broncos at nine overall. And there are several reasons why that isn't far-fetched. One is his experience. He started all 34 games he played in college, and the other is his scheme versatility. But as we all know, the tape is the most important part of the equation of any prospect. What on Christian Derrissaw's tape makes him worthy of a top 15 pick in this draft? 
I mean, he's just he's not the most explosive guy in this class by any means, but he packs such a powerful punch with his hands and he can dominate guys without even looking like he's trying. However, he can be pretty inconsistent. I would say his motor is pretty hot and cold. And uh, he's one that also I think you have uh, scheme versatility, which is big in the NFL. You want to run outside zone. You want to run more gap. I think Christian Derrissaw has the movement skills and the power to do either or. Um, I will say there are some questions about Derrissaw, though, the more we get along this process. Uh, the tape is good. The high-end flashes are good, but there are he, he a little bit more peaks and valleys. And for the offensive line, would you rather have a guy who is consistently good or, you know, great 90% of the time and bad 10% of the time? I, I would argue you get more value from consistency at the offensive line position rather than uh, peaks and valleys. So Derrissaw, that's something to consider as well. Also, this I cannot verify this, but I've heard from a few people that Derrissaw has jumped around a few agencies already at this point in the pre-draft process. I, I, honestly, that would have been a good question for uh, his agent. I had heard that he had already had multiple representation, which is a red flag, obviously, like what's going on there. And then he didn't test at the Virginia Tech Pro Day. He did drills, but he didn't do any of the testing. And with all these other guys testing very well, you know, it's just another question mark for him. So, um, you know, there's character concern. I would say not like Micah Parsons' character concerns level, but, you know, the hot and cold motor on tape, that's a question mark against him. The multiple agents, that's a question against him. Not testing, another question against him. So uh, I like him. The Broncos traded down into like 15 to 25 range, and they like, yep, that's our guy. By all means, you're, you're, you're stacking your hand because you're getting extra picks doing so. But at nine, uh, you know, that would be kind of a, a lukewarm pick, but that's kind of outside of the top six in this class. That's kind of what you're getting. After the top six, it's like a shuffle between pick you know, seven to 25 in terms of value. Yeah, you bring up some good points there. I definitely understand why him not doing the testing at his pro day is a red flag, but why is switching agencies a red flag in your view? You just have to wonder about, like, what's going on there. What's the dynamic, you know? Like, why? I, there's, it just adds another variable, like, where you give pause, right? You don't see guys hop, like, two or three agents over the span of, you know, three or four months. So what's going on there is that he's, is he difficult to work with? Are there things that his agents, you know, who have gone through this multiple times saying, um, and again, this is, this is just a couple people saying, Hey, red flag, like Derrissaw has already switched agents. Like, so what's going on here? I can't speak to that unless I was actually in the room pressing, but it's some, it's one of those, like you flag it as an unknown and a worthy talking point, just questioning. Maybe it means nothing, maybe it means something, but it's a piece of nugget or a nugget of information that just clouds the overall prospect. And moving on to another prospect here, 11 years after Russell Okung was the sixth overall pick, mm -hmm. Oklahoma State will likely have another offensive tackle going round one, and that is Tevin Jenkins. While Jenkins is regarded by many as the best finisher in this offensive tackle class, some say his below-average athleticism might force him inside to guard. Where is the best home for Tevin Jenkins in the NFL? Um, well, what's his arm length, right? That's the question. I see that... Uh... Dane Brugler, uh, on March 5th, for, to a tweet to myself and John Ledyard, um, said that uh, they heard that Tevin Jenkins' arm length was 32 and 7 eighths. Is there an official one? Has Oklahoma State already had the pro day? I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, I don't think they have. Okay, so like it's another one where like if he is what is it, 32 and a quarter, like Elijah Vera Tucker, like mm -hmm. yikes, like that's I can deal with 33 with the other stuff going on because then you have a chance to tackle the fail on the guard, but sub 33, you know that gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Um, he's he is a butt whooper. Um, Ronnie Ronnie Perkins had a good rep against him, but for the most part, I mean Tevin Jenkins, you know when he gets his hands on you, he shocks you, um, and I think he has enough power also where he could play to play guard. There might be some leverage stuff early on um, that he has to work on, but just, just natural power he has. Um, but I, I want to know that arm length measurement just because 
I don't really like I'm a, I'm a data guy, right? Analytics, yeah. mm-hmm. not not purely analytics, but they should help guide your decisions, not based purely on it, but just like, you know, ruling out outliers. Sub 33 arm length and tackle in a league where, you know, you have 34 inch arm length edges all across. I mean, there's no freakier position in the NFL than the edge rusher in today's league. So uh, it's it's a difference. It's a difference maker. And that's enough for me to drop a guy from like, you know, let's say he comes out and he has 33 and a quarter inch arm length. Tape is good enough, I think, for a top 15 pick, really. But if it's like 32 and a quarter, then you're talking like maybe an early second round pick because the value difference between pure guard versus tackle slash guard. And now, Nick, it's time to play one of our favorite games here on Sports Crunch, mm-hmm. and it's called Buy or Sell. I'm going to say the name of a prospect at offensive tackle we have not talked about yet, and you tell us why you buy or sell his long-term stock at the NFL. Starting with Jalen Mayfield of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Do you buy or sell Jalen Mayfield? Nuance. I always you know, push for that nuance word. Um, Jalen Mayfield, a uh, little bit up and down. Um, he didn't actually not have the best pro day at Michigan, his numbers, but uh, I'm taking all the numbers this year, the pro day, with, with a grain of salt. You know, like, once Mac Jones, what, Alabama said he ran like a 4-7? Yeah, <laughs> miss me with that. Um, so all the pro day numbers, a little bit miss her, uh, buy or sell. Jalen Mayfield, uh, you see the the butt-kicking reps with with the run blocking, but the pass blocking sets are still a little bit erratic. And, uh, again, that's another one. Like, how many games did Michigan even play this year? Like, three, four, something? They, had, they were hit with, you know, COVID and had to deal with that more than most teams. Um, so Mayfield, redshirt sophomore, I think he, I think he's going to end up a guard. I think he's just a little bit stiff, and I don't know if he has the overall athleticism and uh, body type to stick at tackles. So that drops him. I think probably somebody will take him uh, mid day two to mid, or excuse me, mid round two to mid round three. But uh, you know, that's one where you're you're banking on some limited sample size, and it's not like the overwhelming obvious tools like a guy like Penny Sewell has. And moving on to a guy who. Um... Tested out of the gym at his pro day, I believe, Samuel Cosme. Do you buy or sell mm-hmm. Samuel Cosme? I buy Samuel Cosme just for the traits. I mean, he plays a little bit tall on his toes, and he, I wish he had a little bit more sand in his pants. You know, it's a little technical term for the scouts out there. Um, and uh, sometimes he can get have issues with uh, power, guys getting in his chest, because he just kind of rises up when he's dealing with power. He doesn't have the natural leverage. What is he, like six, seven, 300 pounds? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that can be an issue. But that said— Kind of had the same questions about Colton Miller coming out, and uh, he's worked out pretty well. So Samuel Cosby, a team that's running more of a pass-centric offense, you know, the shotgun getting the ball out to the sidelines quickly and, you know, screens, Samuel Cosby would be great because he can get out there and provide a blocker where not not every single tackle in every single class can do that. Um, but I will do have some questions about him uh, being, A, day one ready, especially versus power rushers, and, uh, B, just the leverage stuff. You know, it's Sometimes great athletes don't translate to tackle. You know, for every Colton Miller, you have a Jason Spriggs. So uh, I think Cosme, just given the upside, the actually one of the guys who actually has the arm length. That unfortunately, a lot of these quote unquote tackle prospects have been coming in sub thirty four, sub thirty three, and I think Cosme was uh, above thirty three. So I take a shot on him. And honestly, um, if you're looking for a team like the Chiefs, where you're doing a lot of quick quick pass sets, you know, getting the ball to the flats, Tyree Kill, Mecole Hardman, uh, running backs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Cosme makes a, a good amount of sense there because he's going to provide some athleticism and leverage down the field as a blocker in uh, those quick pass sets. Moving on to the guy who protected the blind side of Trey Lance at North Dakota State, Dylan Radins. Do you buy or sell Dylan Radins? Um, I buy Dylan Radins. I think I prefer him in a wide zone scheme. Um, maybe the end of – he's kind of a, some, somewhat similar to Cosme, but I think he has more – positional versatility than Cosme does. I think Cosme is probably left tackle only, maybe right tackle, but I don't really trust him as much at right tackle. 
Uh, maybe that's just some old school bias there where you have a little bit more finesse at left tackle and more power at right tackle. You know, the game has changed. You don't have to have those, you know, stereotypes at those positions. But uh, Radons, I think he could do some left tackle, right tackle stuff. And also, if he fails there, some guard stuff as well. Is he a, you know, top 20 talent? I don't think so. Honestly, I thought that his tape in 2019 was somewhat up and down considering the level of prospects he was going against. I mean, what did, you know, Derek Tuska do last year for the Broncos, right? They're, you're not seeing great edge rushers in that position. So the trench stuff is kind of a uh, grain of salt with the the tape. Unless guys are absolutely just dominating Ali Marpet, you know, like just, just blowing guys off the ball. Um, but uh, I think he'd be fine. Um, and if he fell to was pick 40 for the Broncos, I'd probably consider swinging. I think that, again, I prefer him in a wide zone scheme. Let him use that athleticism rather than, you know, getting under guys and driving them off. But uh, he's definitely got enough versatility tools where you'd be fine taking a swing. The University of Notre Dame has a proud lineage of offensive line prospects in recent years. Uh, Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, Big Q, Quentin Nelson. And now you have Liam Eichenberg. Do you buy or sell Liam Eichenberg? If I was, this is a team where situationally it makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs, but I don't know schematically it does because Liam Eikenberg, I don't know how much of a ceiling he has, but I think he is pretty technically proficient and he can come in. There's not going to be too much of a learning curve. You know, shout out to Notre Dame and what they've been able to do with their offensive linemen uh, coming in over the last few seasons. But Eikenberg, he's one. You know, it's not glamorous. He doesn't move great out there. He's not so much a dancing bear, but he does his job and he works with the physical and athletic limitations that he has. So, again, that's another one I'd be fine buying on. And uh, you're going to feel very safe there. That's one of those, you know, Ozzie Newsome, you know, you don't have to hit home runs with your draft picks. You just need to hit doubles, right? And that's, I think, Liam Eikenberg has a great chance to be a double. I don't agree with that completely, especially for the quarterback position. I think your quarterback's more home run derby, where I'd rather hit a home run or strike out and go back to bat next time than, uh, you know, get a base on balls. But Eichenberg, single, double, you're probably happy with that, especially over his rookie contract. And moving on to a guy who many were saying had top 15 potential in the 2020 NFL draft, but he opted to go back to Tuscaloosa for another year. Alex Mm. Leatherwood, buy or sell Alex Leatherwood? He's another one. I Top 50, I would buy. I think he's got a chance to be very solid. Uh, he's got, I think, the best length in this class. Now, length isn't always the you know indicative of being the best player, but it's nice to have, right? <laughs> it's like if you have length, if, what are the 35-inch arm length or something, like, great. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with him at the Senior Bowl. I thought, uh, speaking, throwing back, uh, Ray Dunes actually was better at the Senior Bowl than Alex Leatherwood uh, from what I saw from the tape that I was able to gather. Um, but Leatherwood, I mean, multiple years of playing three different positions at Alabama, left tackle, right tackle, and a right guard. I think he played right guard also. Um, and uh, a lot of tape against really good players. Maybe he's not going to be incredible at the NFL level, but I think he's going to be solid. And if you can get a tackle that can be solid in the NFL round two, that's you, you can go much worse because tackles are hard to find. And moving on to James Hudson from Cincinnati. Do you buy or sell James Hudson? I'd buy James Hudson uh, round three, round four. Um, you can obviously see the pop in his hands. I wish, again, another one of these tackles that, like, oh, man, if he had 33-and-a-half-inch arm length, I'd be feeling much better, or 34-inch arm length. They're just like uh, all these guys are coming up just a little bit short with the arm length. Um, but uh, I think that a lot of talent there. He's not somebody that you want to depend on year one, but if you can get him in the fermentation chamber, I like to say, I'm you know, talking a little bit of beer talk here. Um, if you can get him in the fermentation <laughs> chamber for a year and, uh, you know, let him, you know, get a little bit more boozy, you know, put it in the cellar for a bit, I think that's the way to go. I, I would I would like him a lot uh, down there 
Um, he's one of, I think, three offensive tackles in this class that I am pretty interested in. Actually, four offensive tackles in this class that I'm pretty interested in as far as a year one kind of sitting on the bench and then uh, coming uh, coming along and being a starter maybe as soon as 2022. Uh, by the way, um, fermentation, that's more wine talk than beer talk, and I like mm, wine talk, favorite. so just letting you know, yeah, Nick. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. And uh, moving right along to another guy who had, like, first-round buzz, uh, like, about last year, and he uh, got hurt, I believe. Walker Little of Stanford. Do you buy or sell Walker Little? Um, I, He's another one. I think it's similar to... We were talking about Cosme, but further away from the tape, so that adds a little bit more risk. Also had some injuries, but if you're talking mid-day two for the tools that he has, he actually think he had uh, okay arm length. Again, none of these guys are hitting that 34-inch arm length, um, but uh, I need to find a spreadsheet out there with all these different pro-day numbers. Although, again, how much do you actually uh, put stock into them, given how they're not standardized this year like other years? Uh, but, uh, you know, mid-round two to uh, mid-round three, that's fine. I think you run a chance of him being a little bit of a Tyson Brylow type, right, where he moves well, but he just has absolutely no punch in his hands and doesn't have incredible arm length. But, you know, that's that's why you take swings, right? Like, he's got the athleticism to do some things, but will he get it all together? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. But um, you're talking the difference between day one versus day two at tackle. And you, I do think he has a chance to be a starter, though, and that's, like, di- different than last year, right? Like, last year there was four tackles, five, four and a half tackles, Austin Jackson, depending on what you thought, and then it was a drop-off, right? They just completely fell off the map. This year, you have options where guys could become starters well into day two, and uh, that's that's pretty much all you could ask for, uh, being how tackle start of the NFL league is. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, Ty Sabrilo. Many I spoke to at the time he was drafted didn't think he was athletic at all. Uh, what makes... Uh, Walker Little be comparable to Ty Sabrilo in your view? Uh, Ty Sabrilo was a decent athlete. He could move pretty well. He's got controlled feet. Um, he just was really not strong at the point of attack. Didn't didn't yeah. have a good base. Didn't have a good punch. Um, but I mean, they Kubiak drafted him to play this wide zone, right? Like that's that's what they wanted him for. And Walker Little, while he everybody talked about his incredible spark scores when he was coming out of high school, like did better than Tristan Wirfs or any of those guys last year. Um, his pro day numbers were just you know okay. They were not incredible. So. How much of an athlete is he? Was he is he kind of living off the hype of the spark scores in high school? How you know how much is he the same after the injuries he's had? You know these are these are questions worth asking. But I think it's one again. Those guys are worth a shot day two, and if they develop into a starter, that's great. But if not, you know you took a swing. Not every single pick is going to be a hit. I, I know people get really upset hindsight wise, but it's a process over results, right? If you have good process every time you're going in there, more times than not you're going to hit right. But it's you know these teams. There's no such thing as everybody batting a thousand percent in the NFL draft. Yeah, thank you for refreshing my memory there. When uh, Ty Sabrilo was coming into the league, uh, a lot of people uh, said that he had supremely light athletic feet, and many people were like talking about his skills as a skier and how he could do a bat flip on skis and all that stuff. Uh, I I forgot yeah. that until you reminded me of that now. So I appreciate you for filling in the blank there in my uh, draft memory. But uh, I would we say could... he was not the most explosive, but he was uh, decent agility is what I got from him. So. Uh, I honestly think the explosive scores, the jumps and the, the verticals and the broads and the 10-yard split are more valuable than the shuttle and the three-cone if I'm looking for offensive line because a lot of it is in those short areas where it's not so much agility, it's power and explosion out of a stance. And uh, that's that's coming from me listening to interviews about Tristan Wirfs. Of course, he said that you know after setting records doing jumps at the combine last year. But uh, you know that's uh, it's interesting. And Tyson Brown is still getting paid in the league, so not exactly what you want for a second-round pick. But it's not like he you know rookie contract and out. So there's there is uh, there is some value there. Maybe not mid late second round like the Broncos spent that season. Uh, but 
you know, that's that's why you take a shot. Yeah, and last but not least, we conclude this game of buy or sell with somebody in your backyard. He's not an Iowa Hawkeye, but he's from northern Iowa, just like David Johnson. Spencer Brown, do you buy or sell Spencer Brown? Spencer Brown, pick 71 for the Broncos. If he's there and Munchak wants him, sign me up. Uh, his uh, his traits, he's obviously a crazy athletic specimen, weight room-wise, jumping-wise, running-wise, uh, tight end, athleticism at the tackle, you know, cliche as it is. It's true, you put those numbers up, he's, he's a good athlete for the tight end position. Again, pro days, are they standardized? No, but still. My biggest concern with him is I didn't see always he's pumping up all these numbers with arm length and size and everything uh, in the weight room, but you don't really always see that on tape, right? Like he's just, he's not absolutely dominating guys with his punch and his length and his quote unquote uh, weight room power on the field. It doesn't translate. So that's something I think you could get in uh, technique wise and leverage wise, because what is he, 6'8, six, 6'7? Six, you know, leverage is key. Uh, low man wins, especially offensive line, defensive line. That's why these football players, why, why does Iowa have all these guys that are great offensive linemen, defensive linemen from Iowa every year? It's not just because there's something going on in Iowa. It's because these guys wrestle in the offseason. They know about leverage. Um, so that, that's a huge key. Um, and that's something that you don't really know about with Spencer Brown, given the leverage issues. Um, so <clears throat> we'll see. Um, I would definitely swing on him, though, and uh, understand that he is boomer bust. But if he gets a chance to hit, you have you have a chance. Honest to God, the athleticism is there. Everything working out, which, you know, what are the odds of that? Five percent, 10 percent. But Lane Johnson is one where like he's the size, the movement skills, et cetera, et cetera. Really good right tackle there for a while. The odds of that happening, probably not great. But I definitely think uh, worth a shot there. And uh, one that, again, going back to our talk earlier, fermentation chamber for a year. You don't want him seeing the field, if possible, 2021. But if you could have him in a situation where he can come in 2022, another year in the weight room, get stronger, get better technique-wise, uh, hit the ground rolling, rolling in 2022. And uh, so he's one that I like a lot. Also, we talked earlier about some other guys I was interested in late since that was the last question. Um, I think Deontay Smith, he actually impressed me more than almost any offensive tackle at the Senior Bowl this year. His movements, because I think he sat out in 2020, but uh, from uh, Eastern Carolina, I really like Deontay Smith. And if he was there, uh, I think he'll go somewhere between pick 80 and pick 110. I like him a heck of a lot. I also really like Doyle from Miami, Ohio. Um, he impressed me a lot. Uh, he was actually a guy that gave AJ Epinesa a pretty difficult time a couple years ago against Iowa. And uh, if you do something like that, Rashawn Slater struggled against AJ Epinesa. Um, Doyle, I thought, is actually somebody who maybe round four has a chance to be a starter in this league for a while. He is Nick Kettle, ladies and gentlemen, offensive line expert and epidemiologist extraordinaire. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Kendall, MHH, and catch his work weekly at milehighhuddle.com. And Nick, thank you so much once again for joining us here. But before I let you go, we have to uh, discuss what are the best possible team fits for a lot of these prospects. Uh, starting with Panay Sewell, what is the best possible landing spot for Panay Sewell on draft day? Best possible landing spot for Panay Sewell. Oh, man. Anywhere, anybody that needs an offensive tackle, especially one that you don't need him day one, I think he has the ability to play a gap or zone heavy. Um, I, honestly, with how the, the San Francisco trade is happening, I'm really hoping that uh, for some reason Penny Sewell falls to nine. I don't think he gets past five. I think he'll go at five. But um, Juwan James, right? The Broncos are already paying him, but guys, sunk cost fallacy 101, right? Like he's already been paid. He's on this team. If he plays at all this season, I consider it a plus, but he's not a guy that's going to make me pass on Penny Sewell. So I'd love him at nine to Denver if uh, quarterbacks are off the table. But uh, man, I've, any team that needs a tackle, he, he's, he's a good guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's better that much better than any of the top four tackles last season. But I think he, all four of those guys showed probably worthy of that pick of being earlier than they were taken, right? Like those defensive guys came off the board early. It should have been the tackles. 
the tackles that went 10 through 13. Those are the guys that should have gone up early. Um, and I think uh, maybe not better than any of them, but right on caliber with the top four last year. Before we proceed, let me toss in a hypothetical. Suppose okay. uh, the first three picks of the draft are um, Trevor Lord, Zach Wilson, and uh, uh, Trey Lance, as uh, many believe they will be. And then the Falcons at four decide to stay put and take Kyle Pitts. And the Bengals then make a trade with the Panthers, and the Panthers move up to five to take uh, Justin Fields. And if you're the Dolphins at six, uh, do you take Panay Sewell to protect Tuitz on the Voiloa? 100%. I would do that without even thinking. Best one of the best players in this class. Uh, Tua really struggled last year. He's not this you know immaculate playmaker out of structure. You want him to feel comfortable and uh, get him an offensive lineman that honestly I think again you know everybody's talking about him tackle, but he was actually recruited as a guard. And uh, you figure out how to make it work. Who's their right tackle right now? Like Robert Hunt? Like, yeah, Robert Hunt. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. That's great. Um, good for him. But uh, he's not causing me to pass on Penny Sewell. So and Penny Sewell right tackle year one. Austin Jackson on the other side. If Austin Jackson and flubs because he was not great last year tools but uh not all getting it together just yet that's fine but you're you're getting yourself a guy and you know what are they missing right now playmakers they've signed both fuller they still got uh deandre parker and you got picks on picks on picks not just this draft and next draft take take the best talent and uh just move on be happy about it because you got a cornerstone piece then yes and what is the best possible team fit for my man rashawn slater Mm, Rashawn Slater. I threw it out earlier, and I don't think it will happen, but I would love to see Rashawn Slater on the Minnesota Vikings uh, playing next to like Garrett Bradbury out there. They have some issues at the tackle position. The uh, Vikings are picking 14. Maybe they would come up and get him. That would be a good fit for them. Also, everybody's talking about Dallas going defense, but that team, when they were rolling, they were offensive line-centric, and I could see them doing kind of you know trying to rebuild that and bringing in a Rashawn Slater. So uh, he's... I think his floor is probably 13, right? Like the Chargers have already made some moves for offensive line this year. But if you can get a guy that has that versatility to pair with Justin Herbert, that's that's good process. But uh, I think ideally I would like to see him with the Minnesota Vikings working with uh, Clint Kubiak in that wide zone scheme. Oh, that's very interesting. I thought you were referring to Elijah Vera Tucker's potential Vikings fit uh, earlier. I like in the that show. too, but I, I like the tackle more. Elijah Vera Tucker is another good one of the Vikings. I think you probably start to move down a little bit as well. I could see Elijah Vera Tucker uh, going to Arizona. You know, Kyler Murray. It's still a quick pass offense, but you you really want to help out that offensive line. I mean, Kyler Murray was you know out there throwing out emojis like the the pondering emoji after these teams are going after offensive linemen because you know, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, they're seeing what these teams investing in an offensive lineman means to them. So uh, that's one that makes sense. The Raiders, I mean, what is their offensive line right now? I don't know. That makes no sense to me. Um, and another team, um, you know, maybe the Chicago Bears, maybe the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, he could fall down a bit with that arm length, um, but I think you have a very solid high ceiling or high floor player that can uh, be a plug plug player in a blue chipper or a uh, at least a standout player, not a blue chipper, but a standout player for your offensive line for a while. Just not as valuable pure, purely guard versus guard slash tackle ability. Yes, yeah, what do you think is the best possible team fit for Christian Darrisaw? We had a mock draft on here a couple weeks ago, and I mocked him to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers at 13. Mm, that's a good question. Uh, do we think that Orlando Brown Jr. is traded before the draft? I know that he says I'm a left, left tackle and wants out of there. Do you think that's that's a possibility? Because if that uh, Baltimore team opens up, then I, I would love Darrisaw in Baltimore. I mean, close to that area of Virginia Tech, running some power stuff. I mean, getting him out there. You don't have the the same type of drops 
that you're dealing with in other offenses because of Lamar Jackson and getting somebody out there who can just push guys off the point of attack with Lamar Jackson running with whoever's at running back there because it just creates so many holes. I would like that uh, one. J.K. Dobbins right now and uh, Gus Edwards are the top two yeah, running backs. But I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm just saying more so like with Lamar Jackson, it probably doesn't matter as much who the running back is because how much easier he makes it for everybody else, especially when you're investing the offensive line like that. So uh, that would be one that makes a lot of sense. But uh, I think that this it kind of smells like a Raiders pick to me. Uh, a, a Ravens pick, correct? Oh yeah, but I'll, I don't think he's going to get that far. I think I think he's going to go to the Raiders. Oh, with so how their offensive line has been bad, how much Derek Carr struggles turns into a pumpkin under pressure, especially interior <laughs> pressure. Um, I I think the Raiders will be looking, especially Chucky, saying I can't have, handle this with the offensive line. I know the defense is bad, but I'm going to keep doubling down on the offense, and because that's his baby, right? Yep. Gruden wants to run the offense, so yes. getting another offensive line guy in there makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, Ravens or Raiders for Christian Derosaw definitely make a lot of sense. Best possible team fit for Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins? I would like him a lot with the Steelers, right? They still kind of want that power identity there. They really need – they're another team. There's so many teams that just are desperate for offensive line. So that's one I like a lot. Maybe also uh, Tennessee. Obviously, the Isaiah Wilson experiment did not work out. And uh, maybe going instead of for the toolsy guy with the question marks, you go for somebody a little bit more solid. Maybe you have some questions about them at tackle. But uh, Jenkins blasting open some holes for Derrick Henry. That that would be fun. Yeah, now you mentioned the Chiefs as a possible fit for Samuel Cosby. Any other teams come to mind for him? Um, yeah, I think the if I was a Colts, I would still be considering it, right? Like they have a short-term plug-play option at left tackle. Um, <clears throat> the Green Bay Packers, and that's another team that, you know, like do we need him right now? No, but to be, they obviously made it apparent last year that they aren't really concerned about drafting for the immediate season. So if they like Cosme a lot, you can get in the Derek, uh, David Bakhtari. They just paid him, but he's been injured. Maybe you can move Cosme to right tackle as well. And uh, Tampa Bay, another team. Left tackle, who's at Donovan Smith right now? Yep. How much longer is he going to be there? How good is he going to be? Uh, much better usage than spending a 30-second overall pick on a running back. You know, if you're, you're never a running back away, that's that's a that's a false statement. Um, you don't want to be like the Chiefs last year. Maybe they'll learn. You know, oh, offensive lines, volatile. You need multiple guys because injuries are going to happen. If you can get Cosme out there, and instead of using that pick on a running back and Donovan Smith gets injured or fails or, God forbid, you know, Tristan Wirfs gets hurt, you got options there at valuable positions that are cost-controlled for the next four to five years. And the best possible team fit for James Hudson. Oh, uh, Hudson. That's a that's – a I'll go Denver. I think that, you know, he's a guy that it's a good makes sense situationally, right? You got Mike Munchak there he can learn from. He's defensive line recruit, moved over to offensive tackle, has some trades tools. And uh, also, theoretically, he's not going to be a guy who has to play year one because the Broncos are probably going to play Jawan James this season. So uh, that's one that makes a heck of a lot of sense for the Broncos and for James Hudson's best career arc. What about Walker Little? Walker Little, that's an interesting one. Probably round three. He's another one that you're kind of thinking uh, late there for zone schemes, maybe Minnesota. Maybe that's one that the Jets uh, invest in. I know they invested in Matt Pert a few years ago, but now you got uh, more wide zone stuff coming on. Uh, Washington football team is another team to keep an eye out for. I mean, when you're talking about team fits and whatnot, the offensive tackle, especially day two, you know, you should be talking about half the team or half the league because that position is so valuable. And if you can get a guy in that range that can plug in that position and rather than paying Nate soldier market setting money, that that's the way to go. Yes. And I believe it was the giants, not the jets that uh, drafted Matt Pert last year. Yes. Yes. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, jets is what I meant. Cause they have Mekhi Becton, but the, the right tackle, I mean, how much are you betting on Matt Pert? He was a, he was a again, yeah. you're talking about day two. 
you're hoping for it, but I'd rather throw resources at it and hoping that one of those guys hits rather than like, okay, well, we already got this guy who we don't know, so let's pass on this other guy who we like equally or more. No, that's I think that's a bad process, especially for a position like tackle when you're talking about what was Matt Pert picked, like 95th, 96th, 97th? 99th, I think. 99th, okay, yep, right around uh, him and Lucas Niang went off the board right there. So, you know, talking off, and you know me, I'm very much a, I don't look at teams as much as a, at least in the draft, for the upcoming season. I'm looking at holes, long-term contracts, how, how these rookie contracts are set up. And if you have any whole questions at all at positions of value and there's a guy you like, swing away. Edge rusher, cornerback, uh, offensive tackle, quarterback, wide receiver, and maybe somewhat interior defensive line too, considering that's more of a developmental pick or developmental position. You need to be thinking about how those guys impl- are, will fit on your team two years from now, three years from now, rather than what it means for 2021. Uh, yes, and uh, you mentioned the Broncos as a potential landing spot for Dylan Radins in the second round. What are some other good landing spots for Dylan Radins around that uh, period of the draft? Well, I, he, I think he could go mid-second round. Again, you're talking to these teams that could just make a really need an investment in the offensive line. Uh, Minnesota could use him. The Chargers could use him. The Giants could use another pick there. Uh, Carolina is a team that maybe could use an investment in the offensive line. The Cowboys could use an investment in the offensive line. So any team picking late first to middle the second needing at all an investment in the offensive line should consider it. But I I prefer him in more of a wide zone scheme rather than a gap heavy scheme. Yeah. No wonder why you said the Vikings there. And uh, what about Liam Eikenberg? You mentioned the chiefs at 32 as a possible destination for him. Uh, What other areas in that part of the draft makes sense for Liam Eikenberg? I could see a team like Buffalo going after him. I could see a team, another one like Baltimore going after him. I could see a team like the Jets, oh, excuse me, wanting to get uh, an obvious, another offensive tackle if they go uh, quarterback early in this draft. You know, like people say, oh, you know, get a wide receiver for him, get a tight end, get a running back. No, man, I don't want my, I want, it's good to have playmakers for your quarterback, but I'd rather them feel comfortable and not take hits. So I'm investing in the offensive line um, first, if I can. Um, So that's one that makes a lot of sense for me. the Bengals also like let's say the Bengals at five they say let's get Jamar Chase let's get Kyle Pitts these guys are rarer than Penny Sewell or they'd have questions about Penny Sewell or we like the offensive tackle depth in this class or they want to double down heck you know I have no issue with that Penny Sewell and Dylan Radons let's go Merry Christmas Joe Burrow like <laughs> that's I don't I have no issue with that um so there's there's a lot of fits yes yeah, and what about Alex Leatherwood uh, same thing it's the same process mostly. Um, for the Alex Leatherwood, you're probably looking for a team that has more questions at guard and tackle, if possible, where you can be a little bit more flexible with him. But uh, those teams picking at the top of the second round, that uh, any offensive tackle that doesn't make it through the round one, you see them. I bet you'll see them fly off the board in the top ten in uh, the second round, just because yeah. these teams they like to pair their splash player with the solid upside investment in the offensive line in the early second round, and that's that's yeah. not a bad process. Yes, uh, Joe Burrow would be very happy if the Bengals followed such a process. And uh, you mentioned him, and I decided to include him in our best team fits uh, segment, uh, Deontay Smith. What do you think is the best possible landing spot for Deontay Smith? He's another one. Yeah, Broncos round two, baby. Or uh, day, day three, <laughs> not round two. Day three. If he can follow the Broncos round three, or day three, maybe even round three, I'd be ecstatic. Um, I expect him to go off the board a little bit after the Broncos pick round three. So those playoff teams um, looking for some upside, you know, maybe another one like Baltimore, maybe somebody like the, gosh, do the Rams even have a third round pick? I don't even know. Uh, Steelers would make a lot of sense. I, I have the first round in front of me, but not round three. So somebody picking in the back uh, middle to the back of the third round, maybe even those compensatory picks. I think that's where you can expect him to come off the board because he's 
has the arm length. He's got the movement skills. He's not as tall as you'd want for a tackle, but I think that's less of an issue for uh, the tackle position than actual arm length because, again, leverage. Um, so anybody looking there, the back of the third round um, picks you know, 80 to 100. I think he should come off the board if you're looking for – if you have any question about your tackle or guard. I think Deontay Smith actually has some guard ability too um, in the uh, that back half of the third round. And last but certainly not least, uh, the best possible team fit for Spencer Brown. Any other teams beside the Broncos, Nick? <laughs> um, I think he would make a lot of sense for a team like Buffalo, for a team like Baltimore, um, for a team like the Steelers. All these teams that need investments in the offensive line, I do worry maybe for some of these teams he would be out there sooner than you'd hoped. Maybe another team like Chicago, too. That's another team that could use an investment in the offensive line. Um, but uh He's somebody where he probably needs a season to get it all together, continue to work on the weight room, work on his leverage, and uh, you know, let's see what he can do 2022. Maybe a team like the Eagles. They just got some more extra capital as well. Lane Johnson has a big contract. He's getting older and he's been injured. Maybe you plug in uh, Spencer Brown for Lane Johnson after a couple seasons. Thank you very much, Nick. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross. But we'll be back soon with more draft coverage as April 29th draws near and your team is on the clock. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Nick. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Nick Kendall, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, wear a mask over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and when it's your turn, please get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available to you immediately. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>